from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Drama and officiating are under the microscope in the NBA, also known as Just Another Day. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And at some point, the conversation about last night's Philadelphia 76ers win over Brooklyn isn't just about the game. It's about the controversy within the game. James Harden ejected for what was ruled to be a flagrant two as he pushed off uh, on uh, as he was dribbling uh, to try and score. And uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, with Claxton standing over him, uh, tried to kick uh, Claxton in the Fitz and Harrys, and for that, he was just given a flagrant one. No ejection, uh, just a flagrant run. One. And we're trying to figure out what all this means on the heels of watching Draymond get suspended by a game, for a game. So, uh, Harry, let's bring in one of our favorites, uh, Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, uh, joining us right now. Legs, always appreciate your time, man. You're smarter than I am. Uh, make make it make sense. Like, in a world where Draymond gets suspended a game for, you know, trampoline stomping somebody, but Embiid just gets a flagrant one for trying to kick somebody in the Tim Legler's, like, what 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 is supposed to be the right thing here? Well, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I wish I could make sense of it because here's here's the problem I have with all of it. Now, look, if it's me sitting in the league office, I don't want anybody suspended, right? I don't want anybody eject, uh, ejected either. These fans have paid enough of a price in the regular season with the number of games guys miss and, and load management and taking, you know, six weeks to come back from a rolled ankle. Like, the fans have suffered enough that now they get to the postseason, the one thing you're hoping is best players playing as hard as they can and playing every night. And so I don't want to see anybody go. But here's the thing. If you're going to tell me that Draymond Green is going to get ejected, let's not even talk about the suspension, just the ejection for what happened in that game when he was provoked because Sabonis grabbed his leg he then steps on his chest, and he is ejected for the flagrant two. How in the world could Joel Embiid not be ejected from that game when he was provoked by Claxton stepping over him, and he intentionally kicked upward, right? And you know where he's trying to hit. He just missed. So I guess they take intent completely out of it because he didn't actually connect with the place that he was trying to kick. Uh, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Just put common sense to it if you're an official. You know what he was trying to do. And he wasn't successful in hitting that area. So that means he gets away with a flagrant one and gets to stay in the game. Doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, Legs, and I'll, I'll throw some, some icing on top of it. The same game, you have a guy in James Harden who's made that move multiple times, gets a flagrant two and gets ejected out of the game. And thank goodness it didn't cost Philly that game because Tyrese Maxey stepped up and hit some big baskets, 10 down the stretch of the game, to be exact, 10 points. But how, 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 how are they viewing this? Because James Harden, a move that he's made consistently throughout his entire career, not going to understand if they want to give him a flagrant a one, but a flagrant two. But then Joel Embiid, uh, 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 probably the favorite to win the MVP, kicks up to make contact with somebody. But then you suspend Draymond Green for a game. So compartmentalize all this for me. Because as a fan, I'm confused. I don't know what the hell to think anymore. Well, no, you should be because it's just it's just way too subjective. I mean, there has to be specific criteria that the, these officials should be looking at in the moment, and they're actually talking to New York when, when they go and they look at the review monitor, right? They're communicating with Secaucus in that room. So 
how how there's not criteria that they collectively can can agree. And for me, it's pretty simple. If it's intentional, and it's obviously intentional, that's got to be an ejection. Now, I don't know that anybody needs to get suspended necessarily. I don't think Draymond Green necessarily should have, and I don't think Embiid should have. Um, now, the reason that they're going to say Embiid and Draymond is going to get suspended, Embiid won't, is because of past history. So that's a new one because we haven't really heard that before explained when a guy's been uh, suspended for something like this the way that they did the other day in laying it out for the case against Draymond Green. All right, so maybe that's their explanation for why Embiid wouldn't have been suspended even if he had been ejected. Okay, he has to be ejected, minimum. Now, when you look at the Harden play, to me that couldn't be more obvious that it was unintentional. And you're talking about a ball handler that's being crowded by a defender, so there's no airspace there. The defender's up against the ball handler, making contact with him. The ball's in his right hand. He's about to put the ball on the floor. Anybody knows a basketball player, when you go to dribble the basketball on one hand, your opposite arm is going to come out to protect the area, to prevent guys from reaching in and, and poking the ball away. So his left arm was in the process of doing that. And because that, you know, the defender was up against his left arm at the time, there's going to be contact. But so you have to now go to the monitor, and you've got to deem that that was intentional, and he successfully hit the area of his body that he was trying, which is the groin. I just don't know how you come up with, with all of that on a very innocuous play that resulted really in nothing. Here's one of the problems, guys. I'm going to lay it out there for you. One of the problems, this is where I'm going to give the officials a little bit of leeway. When you have as many theatrics that are going on in the court with everybody, it's very difficult for these guys to do their job because I feel like most possessions in an NBA game, someone is trying to trick an official into making a call. And even in that play, look, I, I'm not saying if he did catch him in that spot, that's obviously sensitive, and, and you know, Royce O'Neal drops to the ground. Let's look at the Claxton play. You know, a beat kicks up, he kicks him in the rear end, basically, and Claxton goes down like a house of cards. You know, Sabonis rolling around and acting like the guy's never going to breathe again, and then, like, the next play goes to the rim hard. Like, there are, it's, these guys are not seeing everything, the officials. You can't see it all. So what you get sometimes is the peripheral. Peripherally, you see somebody snapping their head back, falling to the ground, and you're going to look over, or even in some cases where you are watching the two players involved, as they were with the ball handler, James Harden situation, and then all of a sudden you see a defender react that way, you automatically assume it had to have been maybe worse than it was. So you're going to raise your hand, blow the whistle, and now let's go to the monitor and figure it out. But I'm very surprised once they went over to look at that that they couldn't deem that that was unintentional, incidental contact. That's very common from a ball handler and a defender. And that should have been the end of it. If you want to call an offensive foul, fine. Flagrant one, is to me, would be excessive, but that's clearly as far as you go in that situation. You can't go flagrant two and throw out James Harden for that play. I just thought it was one of the worst ejections I've seen. We're talking to ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler. I'm Fitz and Harry, Jason Fitz, Harry Douglas. And so let's uh, switch gears to a little basketball that's upcoming. Lex, i got to ask you about this because you were on first take a couple of weeks ago with this absolute moron, uh, tatted-up guy that the the idiot said that the Lakers didn't stand a chance to get out of the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> you tried to talk some sense into him. Now I, I, I hear he's a little nervous about the Memphis-Lakers series being tied at one each meet. I'm talking about me, Legs. I'm nervous. How nervous should I be going into this, uh, this weekend after? after the uh, brazen prediction I made about the Lakers losing to the Grizzlies in the first round? (laughs) 
I think you should be a little bit nervous. But look, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion yet. I mean, look, you know, Anthony Davis is an enigma to me. The other night, I thought he played with low energy. I didn't think that he recognized the seriousness of the moment where you you had a chance to put a stranglehold on the series. You got no John Morant. They're already missing two front court players, and now their best player is going to go out too. And you got a chance to go up two zero as the series series shifts home. You, you're going to you're going to wrap this thing up in five at worst if they can win that game. And I just think Anthony Davis had the right approach. So if you're thinking Memphis is going to still win the series, you know I'm not going to rule that out. You know I think the Lakers um, have enough to win it, and I think you know they they will go home, and I think they'll hold home court. And I think the Lakers ultimately win this series. But, look, it's certainly not something I'd go lay money on because of the Anthony Davis factor and because of how streaky their three-point shooting is. I think they made nine fewer threes in game two. That's 27 points less. So I think the Lakers missed a golden opportunity to really wrap this up early. Um, but I still think they're going to ultimately win the series. Legs, I need you to help me out with D'Angelo Russell. Um you know, after the game, I thought some, someone asked him a question about about getting Anthony Davis to ball and, you know, better position, better positions because he is the point guard. And he was like, well, I'm not a point guard. I'm a basketball player. So, Legs, I went crazy. That blew my mind because I understand you're a basketball player. But when it comes to playoff basketball or even when you're talking about the NCAA tournament, point guard play in my eyes is the most significant. Because you have the ball in your hand so much. And it's your job to set guys up and put them in the best positions possible. Do you think D'Angelo Russell is capable of doing that? Or should he just score the basketball and and try to uh, make shots and not end up on the back of a milk carton like he has been uh, once in this game and then also against the Minnesota Timberwolves? Yeah, look, he's he's in a tough spot because anybody that plays alongside LeBron James is never going to feel like a point guard. Now, he's going to have opportunities in the game when LeBron's out of the game or sometimes, you know, the ball will come up his side of the floor and he'll get to initiate, and that's going to feel more like a point guard. But for the most part, you don't feel that way. Your role's different. And the way, you know, just everything about your rhythm and your vibe. These guys that are point guards, they've had a ball on their hip running a team since they were five years old, all of them. That's all they know, and that's all they really want, and that's the only way they want to play. And then you go pair up with LeBron, and it's different because you got this forward, this 6'8", 260-pound guy, looks like Carl Malone is playing point guard, and that's the way he's going to play. So now I've got to figure out another way to, to find my rhythm around that. So for him, I think it's just going to be streaky. I think it's going to be some nights he'll get it going offensively by making some shots, and that's when I think if, if you know, you're Darvin Ham, you need to have a conversation with him. Like, listen, man, think more like Kyrie Irving tonight. Think like a scorer. Like, that's what we need you to do. We got somebody to set the table. We're good there. And even Austin Reeves is more of a point guard, um, the way that he thinks and processes the game. So you got two guys on the floor now that are going to make a, the majority of the decisions. That's not the easiest thing in the world for a guy like DeAndre Russell to, to accept. So I think Darvin Ham needs to go to him and say, listen, I just want you to score. Just go score. Be, be a raw attacker and, and find your rhythm with your shooting. And, and that's how you can you know, best serve our team right now because I think he's not going to get as many opportunities to just go make plays and have the ball in his hands. and you know, Guys like that, they can pick their spots. right? They can go five minutes without shooting because they know eventually I got the ball all the time. I'll shoot when I want to shoot. I'll get my numbers. He doesn't have that luxury because he doesn't have the ball nearly as much. So now you've got to maximize what you can do in the shorter amount of time you have it, which is score. And I think that's going to be a better role for him is to come out and just think like a scoring guard like Kyrie does when he plays alongside the guys like LeBron. 
Legs, we always appreciate your time and expertise, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Anytime, fellas. I'll catch up soon. Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. You know that. Tune in tomorrow night. The Heat host the Bucks, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations and on Sirius XM, Channel 80. Time to weigh in. We're letting you take over the show. 888-SAY-ESPN. Let me try that again. 888-SAY-ESPN. You guys get to take over the show. The biggest story from the NBA postseason is the drama. What should they do about officiating? 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. You guys call in. In the meantime, I'll learn how to speak. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Down 2-0 and without Draymond Green, the Warriors win a critical Game 3 at home. Can they tie the series up at two games each? Or will it be the Kings who respond? Coverage begins Sunday at 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ABC. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. survive game two without Giannis and tie the series up with the Heat at one game each. Now we head to Miami for a pivotal game three. Coverage begins tomorrow at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Indeed. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app, Sirius XM channel lady. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. It's love Fridays around here. Guess what, what, Fitz? What? You're my little secret. I ain't going to be your secret. I will not be. I will I'm not, singing a song, man. No, I'm, I'm singing saying, a song. I'm not your secret. I, I, I am nobody's side piece, good sir. All right. <laughs> Would you shut up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Harry's trying to treat me like I'm treating the Mets around here, just at arm's length. Like, maybe, maybe you got to earn it. Maybe I don't know if I'm ready for that commitment. I don't like titles. I don't like labels on relationships. That's where I am with the Mets right now. That's Harry's son. Triple H, say ESPN, 888. 888- Seven two nine three seven seven six. Uh, we want you guys to chime in. What do you think? The NBA officiating's got everybody all worked up. What do you think? Does it bother you? How should it be handled? What uh, What's your take on it? David in Alaska. Always love it when people. We're huge in Alaska, Harry. Yes. I, I like, feel like we're we're marginally famous in Alaska, mostly because of your fishing ex- expeditions out there. David, what do you got for us? Well, I think that a lot of it is just that uh, a little bit of overreach for some of the officiating last night. You know, some of it's clacks at making a bad decision after already getting the attention of the refs and getting a technical and kind of disrespecting. So he's got to know that he's got, you know, the refs watching him. So he's got to tone it down. And then Harden, if anyone has ever played basketball, there's no way that you can be driving to the hoop and punch somebody in the groin with intent. Um, So I think that the refs missed that one. But with all the other attention going on from the games and from what Draymond Green 
his tryout for the springboard in the Olympics next year. Um, I think that just the refs are just a, a little off or a little too sensitive on things and just, you know, making that wrong. But I, and, and thanks for the call. I don't disagree with that. My problem, though, Harry, is that New York gets involved. When they go to the monitor, it's not just those refs. There's a whole conversation happening between you. Like, they have the opportunity to right the wrong, and they don't. Like, this is the opposite. I said earlier, I love Dean Blandino being so transparent on the XFL. I can't imagine sitting there listening to somebody with a microphone on them, and they're like, yeah, I see intent. And it's like, really? I, I, I feel like they're going to the video wall and getting it wrong. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, Fitz. And also, I, I would say, you know, the, the Nick Clax, Claxton, when he got his second te- technical foul, this is playoff basketball. These guys' emotions are running high. Him and Joel Embiid have been getting into it. So when he makes a basket and he's feeling emotional, man, come on, man, let, let that slide. Let these guys go back down on the floor and, and make plays uh, the rest of the ball game. So I don't know. It's just I think the inconsistency for me is bothering me when it comes to the official and also the decision-making. Like on who is getting a flagrant one, who's getting a technical file, who's getting suspended. All of that bottled up in, 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 in one for me as a viewer is, is kind of clogging my mind a little bit. Let's go to Gary in Miami. Gary, thanks for calling the show. What you got, man? Hey, fellas. Hey, I'm a retired military guy. So Thank you for your let service. Me, let me explain how rules should be applied. The rules should be applied all throughout the season. But you have to take in to circumstances. For example, when we're military, when we're training, when we're doing an active peacekeeping, when we're doing combat, the rule is the same. If a guy shows up drunk, he's going to get in some trouble. But you understand when you're doing a peacekeeping mission, maybe you're in combat, the situation dictates how severe the punishment would be. And what's happened is the NFL and the NBA and major sports have lost the fact that the playoffs is a whole cabang. It is why people buy season tickets. It is why networks and sponsors play. So what I say is not so much about the calls in the NBA. If I was a sponsor, if I was a fan, if I was an owner of an arena, I'd be pissed because you have to apply the rules with the circumstance that exists. Now, if you go complete the season and you start with implying those rules day to day, I get it. They should learn and they should back down. But at some point, you need to you need to kind of take the current application and look at it and say, am I going to get a guy that's, that's drunk, shows up in Iraq, the same punishment as a guy who's at home working maybe with his family? No, you're not, and you shouldn't do that in the playoffs. That's kind of what I wanted to say. Gary, again, I'll reiterate, thank you so much for your service. Thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. I love the mindset. I just disagree with all of it, Harry. I'm such a stickler <laughs> for like a foul's a foul in game one versus game uh, the first game but, of the but, season. But I, but, I, but I understand what he's saying, though. Like, yeah. playoff basketball is different from the regular season, right? So that that's how I feel like, you know, things should be looked at. Yeah, but then like, we, I, we have a slippery soap of like, well, game one of a series is different than game seven of a series. Or like in the NFL, well, it, the, the you, you what, are we going to officiate the wild card game differently than the Super Bowl? Like, I just think human nature becomes too much of a variable there that I don't like. I want my refs to basically be robots that are emotionless well, playoff, and simply playoffs call is playoffs. Well, I mean, like, I, I don't believe in calling a game the same way you will call it in the regular season. Playoffs is playoffs, whether it's game one or game seven, whether it's a wild card or the Super Bowl. Like, I, 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 you know, the playoffs is where things matter. Things get ramped up that much more. You're going to get, you know, the natural emotions, the natural, you know, mindset of guys of wanting to do better. And, you know, you've been, you've been building up to this moment, you know, the entire season and your entire life. You're going to have that. 
You're going you're gonna to have those moments. So I, I, I do agree. Like, you don't have to call the playoffs the same way you call the regular season. This is, should be a little bit more leeway. This is me being, like, the nerd that I am that everybody hates. And I, I, I acknowledge that. Like, I push my glasses. I'm like, well, actually, I just I, – I would love robot officials that don't have any context and just oh. simply have, like, laser eyes and they can look across the field and be like, flag, 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 flag. I, I would have still, still cursed them out. <laughs> Harry going at the Jetsons on the sideline is the absolute imagery I needed. I didn't know I needed it in my life. Triple Eight, say ESPN. We're going to keep taking your calls throughout the whole of the show. We don't always just open the phones up willy-nilly, but we love having you guys be a part of this conversation since everybody's so passionate about officiating. So we will continue to take your calls. Triple Eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. But you know what season it is. It's draft season. And you know, if you've been listening to this show, that we are in the thick of the single greatest mock draft in the history of all mock drafts. Every other mock draft you've ever been a part of, seen, listened to, or heard, watched in any capacity, is hot garbage compared to what we're giving you here. And we will continue this glorious gem of a mock draft next. Fitz and Harry out of ESPN Radio. Playoffs. The 2023 NFL Draft. Live from Kansas City's historic Union Station, it all begins with round one. The Carolina Panthers are on the clock. Thursday, April 27th at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN, and on ABC. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. NFL Draft. Live from Kansas City's historic Union Station, it all begins with round one. The Carolina Panthers are on the clock. Thursday, April 27th at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN, and on ABC. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. That's right, it's NFL Draft time. And that means it's mock draft season, but no mock draft. Nay, there is nary a mock draft in all the land that will top the Fitz and Harry mock draft on ESPN Radio. Just a reminder, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio with you every single day. But in addition to, stress this, in addition to being on our show next week, because we are not going anywhere during the draft, we will be part of a massive digital mega cast that you can watch at night during the draft on your third screen, Facebook, uh, ESPN app, YouTube, Twitter, all of the digital applications. Me, Harry Douglas, Harry Lyles. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Spencer Field Hall, Yates. Field Yates. Whole crew uh, Andrew Hawkins going to be there. We're going to be absolutely grinding through every single pick. And the best part about our broadcast is should you choose to put us on that third screen, no commercials. So let's see if for the second year in a row I can make it through every pick of the first three rounds of the draft without tinkling. That's the most important thing you need to know. Uh, next up, we are in the midst of our Fitz and Harry mock draft. You guys know the deal at this point. We are having experts. We are having celebrities. We are having famous people that know the teams make the picks as we go through. I am not going to reread all of the first 12 picks because that's too much work for me. I'm just going to tell you that it is time for the chimes because the Jets are on the clock. 
With the New York Jets on the clock, we we go to Alan Hahn from Barton Hahn on ESPN Radio 98.7 in New York with the pick. With the 13th pick in the 2023 Fitz and Harry mock draft, the New York Jets select Peter Skaronsky, offensive tackle, Northwestern. Mel Kuyper Jr., player profile. When you look at Skaronsky at 6'3 and a half and doesn't have the great arm length, the short arms and 6'3 and a half forces him probably to be a guard. May hold out, hope he can be a left tackle. Can really project to all five spots up front. Tremendous technician, extremely consistent, extremely reliable. He was a phenomenal left tackle. Give him a chance because he's so great technique-wise that maybe beat the odds at 6'3 and a half with short arms and play that spot. But ultimately, I think he's a pro bowl caliber guard in the NFL. Like Batman and Robin, wherever Alan Hahn goes, there's also Bart Scott. Here's Bart Scott with the explanation of the pick. I mean, I think this would be an out-of-sight pick for the Jets. I think it will solidify uh, the right tackle and left tackle position as he can play both sides. And I think, listen, you have a guy that has played a lot of football and a guy that's had a lot of snaps. You talk about in 2021, he only gave up two sacks. You know, and you look at 2023, he even did better with that campaign as that Northwestern team, you know, was struggling in 2022. Not not as good of a season as 2021. This is not a sight pick. All right, Harry Douglas, what's your thoughts on Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern? Yeah, I love it, especially for the Jets. You got a guy in Aaron Rodgers who's supposed to be coming over. You want to get him more, more protection. Uh, Vera Tucker's coming off an injury. Also, Makai Becton. Hopefully, those guys can be healthy. But it's nothing like having a fresh young guy come in. I am a little bit concerned about his arm length because he only has 32-inch arms. And at the tackle position, you got to be able to stop those pass rushers who can bend and get down and get around you. Uh, I love his hand placement. Hand placement when he's blocking a pass block specialist. I think he had the, the highest pass block grade in college football last season. Also, you got to look at this. He is the grandson of Bob Skaronsky, who actually played for Vince Lombardi in those Super Bowl teams back in the day. So it's in his DNA, it's in his blood, but a great pick for the Jets, and also they feel a need. Let me say this, too. I, I would be happy. You all know my Raiders fan. I'm the Raiders pick at seven. Uh, if Peter Skaronsky was the pick at seven, I would have no problem with that. So that tells you how much value I think there yep. is for the Jets uh, at 13 for Peter Skaronsky. Also, and his versatility, being able to play multiple positions. A very important note to that point. He was thrown in to be the left tackle in the middle of COVID with no warning as a true freshman. No no discredit to Rashawn Slater, but a lot of people forget Slater opted out. So as a true freshman, he was suddenly thrust into action and has handled it. A lot of people think he's going to move inside, but I, I think this is a really good pick. Evan, you are a resident Jets fan. How do you feel about it? I love the pick. I don't think he'll be there at 13 in the real draft, and I don't know that he stays at tackle. I actually think he'd be a center for the Jets. That's what they need. They have a big need at center. I think that's where Skaronsky eventually would move. One thing to note on that point, though, he has never in his life played the center position, ever. Even in high school, he only played guard. He's only been a backup practice center when needed. So that it's He a bit... has been working at center. Well, well yeah, yeah, yeah. In like... the NFL, that's a spot he might need to go. And I think if he went to the Jets, that would be his future. Right. I'm just saying that— you yeah, know... but, but, but I will say this. If he's practiced it 
uh, on numerous of occasions, it, it, I don't think it would be a big reach, especially with a guy with his background and his ties to the, to the offensive line. Also, I'm looking at Wet Switzer right now. Uh, uh, Wes used to be in Atlanta. I don't think that's the route they want to go there. Uh, yeah, and by the way, uh, I should point out to everybody, Paris Johnson had already gone in our mock draft to the Bears at nine. Uh, Johnson and Skaronski are basically neck and neck for this top position. All right, so it is now time for the chimes again. We stay in the AFC East. The Patriots are on the clock, so we go to Boston Native and our buddy ESPN Radio's Kevin Winter making the pick. With the 14th pick in the 2023 Fitz and Harry mock draft, my once dynastic New England Patriots select Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver, Ohio State University. Mel Kuyper Jr., player profile. Phenomenal year in 2021 with those 95 catches. Talk about what he did against Utah. 15 catches in the Rose Bowl. 11 catches against Michigan. Okay? Dramatic player that year. Talk about putting up the big numbers he did. 2021, 95 catches, 17-yard average, and nine touchdowns. Then he had the hamstring. Didn't play much this year. Back when he was healthy. Talk about slot receiver. Smart, crafty, deceptive speed. Knows how to gain separation. Good combine. Ran 4-5 flat at his pro day. Jackson Smith and Jigba to me back in August. Was the number six player on my big board. I'm not going to knock him for being hurt. Heck of a player will be a really productive slot receiver at the pro level. Couple of points to note. I'd be shocked if New England stays here. We've already established this. The second is, I know, I know. The only wide receiver the Patriots ever selected in the first round in the Bill Belichick era was Nikhil Harry. And that was with the last pick in 2019. And given how his tenure ended in New England, well, there may be some reluctancy. And yes, Smith and Jigma's injury history is probably a cause for concern. But here's the upside. Smith and Jigma may be the best pure pass catcher in this draft. And if you want history, Ohio State's wideouts usually fare pretty well in the NFL. One of these days, Bill Belichick will have to draft to keep up with today's offenses. I think. <laughs> All right, Harry. I'm going to let wide receiver one tell me about wide receiver two because Zay Flowers already off our board to the Titans. So this is the second wide receiver picked. What do you think? Yeah, I like um, Jackson Smith and Jigba. You're not going to get the home run speed, take the top off type speed. But what I love about them uh, playing in that slot, it's all about body control, understanding defenses, knowing when to sit down. You look at his three cone. Uh, at the combine, also his shuttle, he had the best out of the wide receivers. That tells me he could transition, sink his hips, get in, get in and out of breaks swiftly and quickly to get away from defenders. I love everything about this young man. And I'm not just going to say he's going to play in the slot because a lot of people said that about Justin Jefferson because that's what Justin Jefferson played at LSU. I think he's a guy, uh, when it's presented to himself, that can move outside. But this also fills a need for the New England Patriots. A wide receiver, a sure-handed guy, a guy that you know that's going to be able to get open and has that body Control, also knows how to run routes and separate and get open at the top of them. So I like this pick for New England. Yeah, I, I think the only hesitation for some people is that 2021 was really his only year, right? Like 95 catches, as Mel mentioned. 2021 was his yep. breakout wow campaign. Uh, but I think he's one of a couple of receivers here that are day one come in impact players. There's more to go off the board. There's going to be some conversation about where Njigba falls also uh, compared to Addison. So uh, we'll have some of those conversations as we continue. That's two of the four picks. We have two more picks that we will get through in our mock draft today. Again, we will go through every single pick of the first round as we get you ready for the draft a week from yesterday. The NFL draft less than a week away. Could one player thought to be going number one overall at one point find himself falling throughout the first round? We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Whether you rent or own. 
Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Go to geico.com today. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. NFL Draft. Live from Kansas City's historic Union Station. It all begins with round one. The Carolina Panthers are on the clock. Thursday, April 27th at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN, and on ABC. You can also listen on the ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry. On ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Love Fridays. You can tell where my head was when Devin asked for suggestions. Was this one of mine, Devin? I think this was one of mine. Yeah. I was very, very much in a vintage-y, retro-y sort of like... Mm. Like I just you, wish they could see your facial expression when I'm as soon just, as it came on. I'm telling you, this feels like like my when Devin asked for songs today. All I kept thinking about is like you walk into the living room. I got this little piano over there, <laughs> candles lit all over it, lights are down. I look over at my Sonos and I pop it a, a little playlist <laughs> up, and then just take the whole sofa. Whew. Love Fridays. I and I would encourage, I would encourage all our listeners, if you have a suggestion for Love Fridays, because we want to take y'all's requests. We've done it before. What keep those rolling? You know, tweet us at Fitz and Harry, and also at H Douglas eighty three and at Jason Fitz, and let us know what you want to hear on Love Fridays, and we'll do our best to get it into the rotation, ladies I, and gentlemen. I only ask one thing in return, and that's in nine months when babies are made, just consider Harry and Jason as names. I'm just saying that's all. Yep. That's all we're asking. Exactly. Credit where credit <laughs> is due. Uh, speaking of things I love, uh, I love the draft. You love the draft. I've said this repeatedly. The draft is my single favorite sporting event of the entire year. And I know it's not even technically a sporting event. It is my favorite thing on the sports calendar. I like it more than the Super Bowl. I like it more than the NBA Finals. I like it more than March Madness. The draft is everything to me. It is my favorite. And when we have quarterbacks being drafted, Harriet leads to all sorts of conversation. Now, part of that conversation this year is starting to get more and more hairy as we get close to the draft. No pun intended. Uh, based on where these hairy with an eye, yeah, hairy, yeah, based on where these quarterbacks might end up being selected. Remember, this is what Diana Rossini, ESPN NFL reporter, said on this show about the Colts and staying put in the draft. I, I really think they're going to they're going to stay pat. I think they're gonna, they feel where they want to go, the direction that they want to go, and at the quarterback position, they feel comfortable sitting there at four, they must have some intel, right, that the teams picking ahead of them don't want the guy they want. And that leads to more speculation. Peter Schrager of NFL Network said, quote, I put my mock draft out on Tuesday. The biggest feedback I've gotten from around the league is don't sleep on Will Levis 
and the Colts. And now all I keep doing is thinking about, man, if we really live in this world, in a world where the Texans sit there and take Will Anderson at number two, and the the Cardinals who don't need a quarterback, don't find a trade partner, they take a defensive player, whoever they love at three, are we really going to watch Will Levis be the second quarterback picked and not C.J. Stroud? Like, how is that possible? Lord have mercy. Because if that happens on draft night, I don't know how I'm going to react, but also – if that does happen, you're looking at teams now at five, six, seven, and eight. And that is the Seattle Seahawks, Detroit Lions, the Las Vegas Raiders, and now the Atlanta Falcons. If CJ Stroud is still on the board, which one of those teams or how many of those teams will be drooling out of the mouth to try to move up and get CJ Stroud? Now, if it's if it's there at five, you know, Seattle's there to take them, they don't have to move up. But will the Detroit Lions try to move up to, to five from six? Would the Vegas try to uh, the, the the Vegas Raiders Vegas has, say that? Vegas has to move up, man. Right? Like, uh, look, you know, if CJ Stroud is still there, you're saying right? Right. If CJ Stroud is still sitting there, I, I, and and everybody knows I'm I'm risk averse, and I'm the first to admit the Raiders need a ton of uh, help on their roster. But my God, if you're talking about CJ Stroud and you're talking about putting a day one, I'm ready to play right now quarterback in an offense where they're throwing to Devontae and they're throwing to Hunter and they're throwing to Jacoby, like how could you not do that? If if you're if you're sitting there and, and all you have to do is trade up a little to move up a few places, like this feels just like hear me out, man. This feels just like 2021, where Trevor Lawrence went first and everybody said that makes sense. That's Bryce Young in this equation. And then the Jets reached in an abomination pick for Zach Wilson. And and we sat on air together when the 49ers were sitting there at three and everybody was saying, oh, my God, they traded all this to get Justin Fields for sure. Right. They took Trey Lance, who might get traded this week or next week yep. during the draft. And all we did was watch Justin Fields just fall to 11. And Justin Fields this year has a real chance to turn out and be special. Like, are we going to do the same thing this year where we find a reason to take Will damn Levis above C.J. Stroud? No way. It'll be crazy to me if C.J. Strauss uh, starts to fall. And another quarterback is taken. If Bryce Young is taking that one, another quarterback is taken before him at two. I will be shocked. But also, like, I'm, I'm looking at Atlanta, and I understand that Desmond Ritter um, is the guy they're going with right now. But mm. if you see C.J. Stroud, you know, fall to number five, and Seattle still decides that, you know, they're don't, they are going to take a defensive player because Jalen Carter is still on the, on, on the board. Do you try to move up if you're the Atlanta Falcons now at this point? I mean, my dude, if you are talking about a world where we have Bryce Young go one and then defensive player two, defensive player three, and we have uh, Will Levis go four and then Jalen Carter go five, the, the amount of just absolute swing trades, it would have to come through for six, right? The Falcons or the Raiders would have to be battling for each other because and the, and the Buccaneers and every team that's sitting around saying, I don't well, have Tennessee, a Tennessee at 11. Tennessee at 11 would definitely try to move up then at that, at that time. And, and you'd be stupid not to move down if you know that they're going for a quarterback because you can move down two picks and pick up a King's ransom. Like yep. the, it, the Titans, the Vikings, you start looking across the board uh, this gets wild. If if we really think that Will Levis is going to be the second quarterback picked, I can't imagine what the market's going to be for CJ and what the market is going to be, obviously, for Anthony Richardson. The Kings saw the real King last night. We'll tell you what it means going forward. Fitz and Harry. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 